All right, ladies and gents, welcome to MV Podcast. And before I get started, I just want to say thanks to everybody that's been supporting season one all the way through season nine. And by the time you guys hear this, this is season nine, episode 15. Now, you guys know that the the podcast has, has really been hip hop commentary, but I also dedicate space for those who are, um, that has a story to tell, but especially if I can contribute anything to the to the mental health field, I've, I've got a chance to interview those who are in the who are working in the field. But I haven't done much interviews where where a person survived something health wise. And I just think that when, when I met the sister right here, I got a chance to build with her a little bit. Chaser Francine, you know, um, her story was intriguing to me and I, I had to say like hey I, I need you on the podcast like I think you have something to say and something to teach others um she's a San Diego native and without no further ado we got Miss Iris Diaz in the house how are you Iris I'm doing good I'm excited I'm excited to do this thanks <laughs> I'm for nervous doing this. Uh, you're good you're good thanks for doing this um bef- I, I ask all my guests where were you born and raised I was born in San Diego, Mercy Hospital, and raised in San Diego. Cool. So back and forth from TJ to here, but definitely born and raised. I'm first generation here. Where in San Diego did you, did you spend your elementary years? Uh, Chula Vista, mainly Chula Vista, so, National City, where? Imperial Beach. We were definitely, again, first generation here. So lots of poverty, lots of evictions, lots of moving around. But yeah, I always stayed in the South Bay. You got siblings? I do. I have an older brother who's three years older than me, so he is 41. I have a little brother and a little sister that are both in their 20s. Mom and dad still alive? No, unfortunately, (coughs) my mother uh, passed from liver cancer. Um, which is going to be one of the topics, but, but yeah, she, she got a sudden cancer in her liver and it was fatal and she died in 2020, August 2nd of 2020. My father is still in the picture. He lives in Paradise Hills, but you know, we're more friends than father daughter style. Right on. Growing up, would you say you were athletic? Would you say... You always stayed in shape. Always, always. I was always running. I love running. Um, My older brother was a football player, so I was always active with him. We were both just constantly in different sports. I played baseball for years, gymnastics, ballet. I mean, we were always very focused on our health. So you graduate high school. What did you think your, what what was your plan in mind when you graduated high school? Or what you think you were going to do? So what ended up happening? I I graduated high school and I started joining the police academy. I wanted to go into corrections and I was kind of a bad child. So that didn't end up working out for me, which, you know, it was okay. Um, I actually got married really young. I was 21 when I got married um, and I went into a career of finance and I started doing accounting and that's where I stayed and my plan was to have that white picket fence and be married. I had my son and that didn't work out so I've learned through life that you know that the way the saying always goes God, you plan and God laughs so how, how long were you married Iris? I was married for five years together for eight years and your son is how old now he's 15 wow young man are you um, guiding him for college? Does he want to go to college? Uh, he wants to. He was struggling during the COVID year. was his freshman, no, his seventh grade. And then eighth grade, they went back to school. 
freshman, oh, they were a mess. It was a rough year. Yeah, it was very rough. Um, so he was struggling. Now he's a sophomore and he's back in school. He's active. He's getting his grades up. So now the focus has started to become on college, nice. thankfully. Nice, nice. Um, so I wanted to talk about your story. Uh, you know, with me, someone that's been really aware of like mortality and death around this, especially after COVID or during COVID, sometimes I think about death too and mortality and um, I couldn't help you overhear your story when you were telling someone that you were preparing for death and you were getting ready on what life would be like for your son. So I wanna, I wanna take you back like, when was the first time you felt like you had symptoms that you had liver failure? Like, what year was this? Uh, so this, it all happened very, very fast. Right. Um, I first started having symptoms mm -hmm. in about August 2022. Wow. So, little under, or little over a year ago right. um but i the symptoms that i had were very common symptoms so i've always battled with i had gastroenteritis i had gastritis i had stomach ulcers i have reflux i have heartburn like just stomach issues so right so when i started having symptoms it was just all of those symptoms plus more so i was having the nausea i was having more heartburn but i'm also getting older yeah so i didn't think okay this is this is my liver i thought like damn i can't eat hot sauce no more like, I can't, I, I need to cut back on the chile. I need to, like, not even the Doritos with sour cream. Like, <laughs> and the, the doctors even told me, like, cut back on ketchup. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, this is how old I am. <laughs> so I just assumed yeah. it, it was that. Yeah. And um, little by little, it kind of just kept increasing. Um, and I started um, having severe nausea, vomiting a lot. Again, it goes back to my stomach issues. So I just figured like, okay, I need to change my diet a little bit more. Um, it wasn't until about October of 2022 that I actually lost feeling in my legs. Um, I was still standing. Yeah, I, I could stand, I could walk. I just couldn't feel my legs superficially. So like if I touched my, my calves, I couldn't feel it. Um, and, and I was unstable on my feet, but I think the, the first time it kicked in, like how bad it was, I went to go get a pedicure and my, I love pedicures. My favorite part, obviously the massage, they start massaging my legs. I can't feel that. I, I can see them massaging my legs and mentally I know what it feels like. So I think I can feel it. But once I thought about it, it's like, I really don't feel her hands on my legs. Like it was just that connection that your brain does to what oh. you're seeing and that's when i knew like something's not right oh. so after that um i talked to my doctor so uh, a little history my mom's a nurse um a lot of my cousins uh families they're nurses they're doctors so i've been the kid that i can call up any of them personally and just say hey this is what's going on and they give me a bit of advice I didn't have health insurance at the time, so I called one of my doctor friends, and and I tell him like, you know what, I, I I'm having this issue with my legs, and he's I go in and I see him, and he's just like, that seems neurological, mm -hmm. something's going on, like, mm -hmm. you need to get some blood work done. Mm -hmm. So I went to TJ and I got my blood work done. I actually called one of my cousins, who her uncle is a mm -hmm. doctor. He does my blood work, mm -hmm. and it comes back that my liver's swollen. Mm -hmm. So he tells me, he's like, are you a drinker? And I was like, well, 
I'm Mexican. Yes, I am a drinker. You know, I'm not a heavy alcoholic drinker where I'm like pounding like a bottle of tequila a day. But yeah, like, of course I'm a drinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he's just like, well, um, he's like, this is neurological, but it's your liver causing it. He's like, your liver's swollen. So it's reacting to your nervous system. Which I had no idea. That was something new to me, completely new. I'm like, what? Like how? Even my other doctor was just like, um, I, it did a, doesn't make sense. But he's like, I'm not a neurologist. And so he's just like, you know, cut back drinking for 30 days. He should be good. It's just a little swelling. And sure enough, I did. I, I quit drinking for 30 days. I felt great again. I was, I had my health back. My legs felt fine. It was right at the Christmas time at this point celebrated christmas uh january is my birthday so we went on vacation january 21st no way okay right right uh so we go on a trip my son my cousins to mazaclan we come back i mean i'm living life like you would never imagine i'm just happy healthy fine within two weeks i start swelling just swelling my stomach started swelling i was throwing up like crazy the the numbness in my legs came back and um, I knew I was, at that point, I was like, something's extremely wrong, wrong, like wrong. Like I felt it. And but I had no other like weird symptoms. It was just I mean, the weirdest one was the numbing in the legs. Yeah, yeah. But everything else was kind of things I had dealt with my whole life. Right, so right. I didn't really think too much. But at that point, I knew like I'm swelling within a couple of days. I was yellow. And so I go to um, the hospital. I went to the emergency room. Um, and <laughs> am I allowed to mention like oh, hospital names, anything? Wh- whatever you okay. feel comfortable <laughs> with. You don't feel so I went to Paradise Valley Hospital. Right on, right on. Where my mom worked at. Right, right. So I felt comfortable going there. I know a lot of people don't really like that hospital, but I always got great treatment there because my mom worked there. Right. And I knew the doctor. So I go there and the doctor immediately sees me and I'm yellow, full bone yellow Fuck. and swollen. And he, are you, are you in pain? You I'm in pain. I was crying, oh, like shit. crying in pain. I had shooting pain down like my, my rib cage all over my stomach. Fuck. They did an MRI Yeah. and they're like, okay, your liver's swollen. Fuck. No blood work, nothing. Right. They're just like, your liver's swollen. And I was like, what, what do I do? And he's like, you should probably go to AA or maybe go to church. <sighs> that was the advice I was given. I had no health insurance. That was what was told to me. Oh, my God. So I go home. I go home and I'm just like, okay. It's like I'm telling my friends. I'm like, they said I just I just need to cut back on drinking. But and now my cousins who are in the medical field are like, this is not right. Like the symptoms you're talking about is there's something more. I'm like, they said nothing. It, It was so bad. So then couple uh I, find, I end up getting health insurance i go see a primary care she's like we're gonna do a lot of blood work and within two weeks after that so it was march 9th um i i go to the restroom and i look down and my ankles are swollen now like swollen like pregnant lady swollen yeah i'm like okay this is wrong so i call the doctor who is i barely met her because I had just gotten insurance. I'm like, what do I do? She's like, go to the emergency room. Do not go to Paradise Valley Hospital. Nah, hell no. 
I'm at work. I left work, picked up dinner for my son, brought brought him home, talked with him for a little bit, told him I'll be back in a couple hours. Hopefully it might take long, but I'll be back later. Drove myself to the emergency room. And I get there. As soon as I walk in, they're just like, all the doctors came rushing to me. And I'm still sitting there like, maybe I have a bacterial infection. Like maybe, you know, something. And they're just like, we're going to do some testing. I fall asleep. By the time they woke me up, at this point, it's like three, four in the morning. And they're just like, you're at stage four end of life liver failure. And I'm just like, no, like there's, there's no way. They're like, yes, you're, you're at end of life liver failure. I was like, I was just in the emergency room a couple weeks ago at Paradise Valley. And they told me that my liver was just a little swollen and that was it. And then they tell me, no, you have stage four cirrhosis and you're at end of life liver failure. So I'm at this, I don't even know what to think at this point. I, I'm just like, what? I came in thinking they were going to give me antibiotics. They were going to give me something. And so for the next few days, I'm just kind of in a daze, like trying to take it all in. For real, for real. All I remember was I can kept asking over and over again, are you sure? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yes, we're sure. Mm-hmm. And then the guilt kicked in mm-hmm. because my next question was like, did I do this to myself? Was this my drinking? Did did I, like, am I an alcoholic? Did did I get this because of, of my lifestyle? And the best thing I heard was they, they told me, no, we know you're a drinker. We can tell by your blood work. <laughs> I mean, doctors, you can't lie to doctors. They know. <laughs> They're like, we know you're a drinker. You don't have to tell us you're a drinker. We know you're a drinker. <laughs> oh, They're like, shit. but... But they're like, the amount that you drink... Right, right. Does not equate this. Would not, yes, would not give you that. And then came the topic of my mom. My mom was not a drinker at all. Okay. Not at all. Word. She developed cirrhosis. Well, she got the... It's called cholangiocarcinoma. And it's a fatal liver cancer. Very, very rare liver cancer that um, creates um, cirrhosis also in the liver. But before that, she had a fatty liver. And the majority of the females in my family all have fatty livers. What I learned when my mom passed away was the you have a higher chance of developing cirrhosis in your liver from a fatty liver than from drinking. But that that's not what anyone knows. People don't know that. People hear cirrhosis and they hear alcoholic automatically. It, and, and if you try to explain it otherwise, it's yeah. always this thought, oh, okay. Right, 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 right. Sure. Right. And I remember when they told my mom she had cirrhosis, the first thing my mom was like, I'm not a drunk. Right, right, right. right. Because, and then I mean, a Mexican, typical Mexican woman, she's like, oh, she was so offended. I remember going home and she's like, don't you dare tell anyone I have cirrhosis. And I was like, mom, everyone knows you're not a drinker. And she's like, no, no, that's what alcoholics have. Don't tell anyone I have cirrhosis. I want to ask, how old was mom? She was 56. Wow, young. Healthy. Always healthy. My mother never did drugs, never. Even when in her last Your mom was stages. 56? Yes. When she passed? She, yes. No, 58. Sorry, 58. 58? Wow. Yes, so we had just celebrated her 58th. Um, and, yeah, she was 56 when she got diagnosed. 58 when she passed. Um, but she 
healthy. I mean, she was a nurse. I always watched her eating, like her intake. She did her exercises. She never smoked a cigarette. She kept it healthy. Everything. Never was a drinker. She'd have a glass of wine here and there, a glass of champagne, but nothing, nothing at all. And from one day to the next, she, same thing. She was in pain. She went to the hospital and they're like, you have a tumor, you have a fatal cancer. something um okay so you hear the news who do you call first for for who do you talk to who do you call first you know you're gonna laugh at this one right i called my boss right right, right, right. <laughs> and you told him and what's so, going on yes so my my boss and i didn't call him like to call out sick or so anything. crazy right we call our boss before we call our family right i called my boss so my boss and i i've been with my company for about 10 years now we're you know he's very supportive he's Good a shit. huge mentor to me he guides me a lot and he was the one that was like you need to go to the hospital mm-hmm. something's not right you need to go so he's the one that pushed it. he probably saved my life yeah, yeah. So, but I was never expecting to hear that news. And it was the middle of the night. And in my mind, I was like, I could call my family, but I don't even know what's going on yet. And I'm now I'm going to put this pressure on them. Like that was my first thought. Like, instead of thinking like, oh my God, poor me. I'm like, I can't tell anyone this. Like how do, if I don't even know what's happening, how do I tell them and then make them panic and then make them believe this. And, And I still wasn't believing it. But I called my boss and I told him and it's like, I actually, I text him. I'm like, call me when you can, when you wake up. He finally called me at like 730. He's like, what's happening? And that was it. I burst into tears. I'm like, they're telling me I might not go home. I might not make it. I'm in liver failure. And his reaction right away is just like, what? You were just in the hospital a couple weeks ago and they told you not to worry. Right, right, right. And I'm just like, well, apparently I should have worried because... I, I could have died. They literally told me, like, you, you're you lucky you made it here today. Right. And and even the doctors were like, and how did you get here? I'm like, I drove. <laughs> and they're just like, um, you know you're dying, right? Gosh, like, you're no. so mean. They say it like that? <laughs> no, they he didn't say it like, like that. But, like, that was the look he uh, gave me. Like, like whoa. <laughs> and then he's like, um, are you not in pain? Let me ask you something. The, the the person or the doctor who said, hey, you're in stage, you're in level four, stage four of liver failure. Did he say it with compassion or was he kind yes. of like a jerk? No, you know what? They, I was at Scripps Chula Vista. Okay, good. I had just amazing people good, around good, me. Good, everyone, good. everyone that was counts. just so, yes, so supportive and and not judge, non-judgmental because at this point, even though they were telling me it wasn't because of my drinking, I was still kind of blaming myself, like still thinking like I, I had to have done something to it. Like I, I was, I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. Like, you know, everyone knows I'm a party girl. Now I have to go out and say, Hey, I have cirrhosis. It's like, you know, it's that, that stigma that's going to go. Like, it's exactly what, what, so it's like now, like, how do I say I have cirrhosis and everyone's going to automatically think because i am a drinker right right and i'm not gonna sit here and try to convince the whole world like it's it's not but yeah i'm a drinker (laughs) (laughs) so what month is this this is this is march this was on march 2022 2023 whoa this is this year march 2023 okay so what's happening now so now you're in the hospital you hear this news how many months are you there so I'm not, I was there about a week and a half wow. in the hospital. So in the hospital, they told me, you, you probably aren't going to make it back home. Fuck. 
So I'm, I'm still not believing it. I'm still like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And they ran every test in the world you could think of. Like every test on top of mental health testing, on top of psychologist really? testing. And so they come in and they finally tell me like, okay, this is what it is. Right, right, right. You, uh, they, I mean, the whole time I'm strapped to IVs and everything. And they're just like, it looks like you might be able to make it home. But they're like, you're not going to survive if you don't have a liver transplant. Right, right. And I remember asking the, and this is my, um, my, my main transplant doctor. And he was just like, uh, I asked him, I was like, what, what are the chances of me getting better? He's like, there's no chance. And I was like, what? I was like, I heard the liver can heal itself. And he's just like, yes, but in your case, it's so, so, so bad that there's no chance that your liver can heal. I've never seen a liver as bad as yours that has what? ever made a recovery. He's like, you will not survive God. if you get a transplant. So they have a whole like basis when they do your blood work and everything of uh, they can calculate your your time not not time of death but like your life expectancy your mortality rate. Mm-hmm. So at this point they tell me they're like, well, where your uh, results are coming out at, you have ninety days to survive if you're lucky. We don't think you're gonna make it to maybe sixty if you don't get the transplant right away. Right. And because I was a drinker, they're a lot stricter on the transplant. So they're like, we need to see that you can stop drinking and you want the capability of, you know, surviving before we give you a liver. So that might take about 90 days. You might not have my 90 days. Mm -hmm. And that's being lucky that they find a match. Right. So I'm just sitting there like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I'm going to die. Like, I... But on in all honesty, the realistic part of me right. was thinking that, like, okay, I need to, I need to prepare. Right. I need to figure out what's gonna happen. I need to find out. Like, I my mindset instantly went to survival mode. Okay, I need to figure out how I'm gonna pay my rent because I'm not gonna be working. I need to figure out uh, my son yes. and everything. Like, I'm like sitting there focusing on the things that I can control. Right. The other part of me was telling me, you're not even going to die. This is a lesson. This is a lesson to slow your ass down and you're not going to die. And all of my my family, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, everyone started coming to the hospital. And obviously my mom, this is 2023, my mom passed in 2020. So it's been three years from my mom dying of liver failure that was from her cancer. Thankfully, I don't have the cancer, but it... It, it's it's another reality to them of like shit. It just happened three years ago, and now this is her immediate daughter. It's you know it's gonna happen. Pretty eerie. And Pretty yeah, it, it, it really was. It's like wow. And for me, that I have never had any health issues like that. Right. Um. And so everyone came in and they're freaking out. And I just remember telling everyone, I don't feel it. That you're I don't. Die. That I'm gonna die. It was like I will be realistic and I will prepare everything, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I was like, I just don't feel it's my time. Like, I really, I mean, and, and I was scared and worried of, of course, every emotion. But something inside of me just kept telling me, it's not your time. It's your time to calm the fuck down. Hey, maybe that's what it is, too. Yeah? Um, how, How's your son taking the news? What? Wait, wait, time out. At what point did you even tell him? So, I... I mean, he obviously knew I was in the hospital. 
I a lot of those days are kind of hazy just because I was so in and out. Um, but I think it was about two to three days in the hospital that I finally told him. What's up? Um, and I had told him before, like, I, I think I'm sick, like something's going on. Um, when he went to the hospital, he kept asking me and I was like, we're still test- doing tests. I'm still figuring it out. He's a young man, but, you know? But he also just saw my mom go through it. So he recognized the symptoms. He saw when my mom passed, she was yellow. The stomach was bloated. She was nauseous. She was throwing out all the same symptoms. So he knew. He he even, he asked me, he's like, it's your liver. And I'm like, yes. He's like, you're going to die like grandma. And I was like, no. And that, and I'll, the only thing I could tell him was like, I don't have cancer. I don't have cancer. Like, I mean, liver failure is not better either. It's actually worse, but... I I just kept telling him, no, I don't have cancer. I, I have a chance. And then it wasn't until I talked to one of my friends who actually lost their mom at a really young age. And I was like, what do I do here? Like, do, do I tell him or do I hold off? Like, what would you have preferred your mother to do? And he's like, tell him, tell him. He's like, let him know because he needs to take it in. Fuck. And... And if anything happens, he's going to possibly feel guilt or blame that he didn't know that he wasn't there. Or, and I'm just like, okay. Yeah. And that's when I, and I told him and he, I mean, he cried and he hugged me and he was just like, but he's like, but how do you feel, mom? I yeah. was like, I don't think so. I was like, I don't think so, honey. I was like, but. God bless. I might, I might. I was like, this is what the doctors are telling me. I was like, but I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm going to be here a, a lot longer. Amen. Amen. Thank God. So, did you get the transplant? No. So, wow. Okay. So, now what? So, now. So, you, now. Um, so, so, a little. March. A little. Um, just knowledge as far as how they base the rates on the liver. So, there's something called the MELD score. Um, and that goes from, I don't know what the lowest is, but let's say 1 to 40. 40 is pretty much you're on your deathbed. You're you're going to pass away. Anything about above 15, it's uh, liver failure and start preparation for a transplant. Anything about 30, above 30, it's already fatal and you're going to be lucky if you get the transplant. When I went into the hospital, I was at 38. Fuck. So I was pretty much dead. Um Throughout the next few months, I, I come home. Um, it was, I mean, definitely a battle, like, with a lot of different things. But I, I completely quit drinking cold turkey, 100%. Um, I started eating everything. I didn't do no natural remedies, no, none of that stuff. I ate protein, nothing, and ice cream. So much ice cream. I love ice cream. Um, but everything just... What, what flavor? <sighs> cookie dough and coffee. <laughs> So they sent you home. So you came, you went inside, you went to the hospital March and they sent you home when? They sent me home about a week and a half later. Wow. Uh, because there's not, so because you're in liver failure, they can't give you medication. There's no medication, no pain medication, nothing. And you're at that fatal stage where they don't even know if they can find a, a transplant that, that can. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and everything gets filtered through the liver. So there's not much they can, once they stabilize you, Unless you continue getting worse, there's not much they can do other than send you home and have you rest and try to eat and be comfortable. And you would say you healed naturally after a week and a half. Did you? I yeah, that they let me go home, wow. and and it was a, a 
really rough few weeks, but yeah, I, I cut out all alcohol. I, um, I was eating nothing, nothing but protein and fresh veggies, just grilled veggies. Um, and little by little, I just, my score, so I was at 38. I went down to a 34. So I was getting my blood work done every week. Um, and cheers, cheers. It slowly, then it was at a 30. Okay, so it started going down. So it started going down. And then in June, June 19th, I hit my 90 days. This summer. This summer. The 90 days that I was supposed to be dead by. Wow. And when I walked in, I my melt score was at an 18. Wow. 18 from 38. God bless. And I, that day I walked in, my doctors, I mean, they were giving me a round of applause. They were just like, you should be dead. I can't, you I can't should believe be you're dead. saying it like so Like, freedom. no, at uh, this point they were like, they were wow. just like, because they were, they were even in shock. That my doctor told me, he's like, you are 100% a complete miracle. Hey man. He's like, I've never seen this happen before. You have a second chance. And he, that's exactly what he told me. He's like, God just gave you a second chance. Life. He's like, you have a guardian angel who, whoever you believe in, but someone is shielding you. And they're like, you just got a second chance. So at 18, I'm still in liver failure, but it's it's where people normally start to prepare to to maybe have to get on the transplant or start making a recovery. So one of the things that I asked you when I first met you was um, prior to this happening, were you a spiritual person? Did you have a, a connection with God? Did you pray to a higher source? Did you have spirituality in your life before this happened? Yes, definitely. I don't follow organized religion. I'm not a churchgoer, um, but I have always believed in a higher power and some and and everything spiritual. I've always really believed in kindness, love, and I feel you get that back. And it's just, I mean, that's that's it. I've never been like, okay, God, I'm gonna pray to God. I just right. pray, or I just talk. Do you think your spirituality got stronger during the process? Do you think you leaned on spirituality a little bit when this is happening? I think it got stronger as far as uh, believing other people's beliefs. Mm. Because um, I was I I was always naturally spiritual. And, right. and I, I don't think I changed much. My brother goes to church a lot. Right. He kind of was pushing me to go more to church. It's I did go. I went a few times. It's just not my thing. I don't look down upon it. It's just not my thing. But... What did happen is, um, so from March to April, so I didn't open up about my illness until April. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally, because I, I was ashamed and I was also still learning about right, it. Right. Um, and so when I finally opened up, I had made no progress at this point. This was like 30 days later. Still no progress. I was at the exact same point. I opened up on Instagram and I made a, a story and I posted and I, I announced where I was. Yeah, because you also have people who care about you outside of your family, of course, you know. And when I did that, I was just, I mean, overwhelmed with the amount of messages of people saying, can we pray for you? Can we pray for you? We're we're praying for you. And uh, my brother's church started praying for me on a regular basis. Um, I have other friends that are very into church, uh, different religions, that they were just like, every time we host a meeting, every time we're together, we say a quick prayer for you. That's when my health started getting better. Good. So it made me realize, like, it's not what I have to believe, but 
respect everyone else's beliefs because right. those prayers are strong. And they show you that they love you, they care about you, and they're sending it out to the universe, saying it out loud, you know? It's definitely touching you and reaching you. You feel me? Yeah. No, I, I agree on that. Um, Thanksgiving just happened. Like, what are you thankful for this year? I know there's so many obvious things <laughs> to be thankful for, but what are you, top three things you're thankful for for 2023? Um... The first two are going to be pretty similar. I I gained a lot of peace this year. Good, man. A lot, a lot of peace. A lot of acceptance. Good. Um, I I took my my destiny for whatever it's going to be, and I accepted it. I came to terms with it, and I'm okay with it. And I truly feel that that was whatever higher power gave me that peace. And the second is the exact same thing, but for my son because I've been sharing it a lot with, with him. And I, I asked him, how much do you want to know? And he's like, you tell me everything. Of course, he wants to know everything. And this year, I it taught him a lesson too. He became more responsible. He became more observant about things. He he started learning how to do more on his own. This matured he, him. Yes, it matured him very much. Emotionally and um, mentally. And, and he... I wouldn't say it has come to peace with Lucy and me because I don't think any child would be there at the, at this age. Right. But he understands that the love I have for him is going to continue no matter what. And he's kind of just like, okay. like he He's exposed to the reality that I might not make it. Yeah. But I'm showing him that it's, a, it's not a bad thing. It's just where I was meant to be or what's meant to happen and it probably taught him too like shit is real um, yeah tomorrow is not promised for anybody including my mom yeah it probably starts imagining what life could, was like would be like without you just it probably like really shook him up a little bit you know like fuck you know what I mean I know I would it's a 15 year old young kid you know that's a critical age man yeah it's a critical age in this life right now um good so you're thankful for that um, what are some of the goals you're trying to accomplish for uh, 2024? You know, I don't, I don't know if I really have any exact goals. Hmm. Like I, if I'm a big planner, I always like to plan different things. I like to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I think that comes again with like the piece that I learned this year is that I'm not really at a place right now where I'm like, okay, I need to do this. I want to do this. I feel like life is going to just take me to where I need to go. Oh, yes. And so I'm, that, and that's why I say that piece that I gained this year, I, I have, I'm an anxiety wreck. I, I get very, like, I'm, if I'm not in control, I, I freak out. And this year taught me that I don't need to be in control. I don't need to be in control. It's it's gonna what's gonna happen is gonna happen. And I mean, I have little goals like yeah, I want to make more money or you know I want to be healthy. I want to like, all the obvious, the goals that everyone has. But anything as far as like this is what I'm gonna do. I'm 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 okay. I'm just kind of like eh. Well, what are some of the steps you did you think to achieve peace? Like it takes a while for us to achieve peace, huh? It does. We have to make a, um, a conscious effort um, to let go of any dead weight that's yes. bringing you down. Everything and everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everything and everyone that's, that's adding on dead weight. 
and I just think, you know, we're class of 2003, that's interesting. Um, I'm turning 40, you know, next August, it's coming August 2024. So I all, I'm kind of like in a midlife crisis myself, kind of like, um, I start to think, what have I accomplished too? And I have anxiety too about, mm. about getting a little older. Um, enough about me. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> um, sorry. About I was gaining asking peace. You, gaining peace. What did you have to do to gain peace? Um, open my eyes. <laughs> this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all the way open. What's that name of the Sandra Bullock film uh, where she was seeing some shit? <laughs> but no, um, you I had to open your eyes. Yes, but important. I think a lot of people just don't open their eyes until either they're ready or something drastic happens. Yes, yes. Like it has to something. It's gonna have to trigger it for, to, for it to happen, because for me, like I thought I had my eyes open. I I've always been on my own. I'm independent. I do. I'm successful. I'm doing everything good. Good job. So nice. I thought my eyes were open. Mm. Only I realized I was focusing on a lot of like the goals that society puts out for you. Mm. You know the oh I need to buy a house. I need a visit Cancun at some point I need a you know all the things that and and I've done them a lot of those things but the fact that I did do a lot of those things and I still didn't have peace it was kind of like okay I'm looking in the wrong way and yeah my illness didn't make me realize like the energy that you waste on so many things is not worth it because what's gonna happen is gonna happen it doesn't matter what you do. You can't change it. Mm-hmm. So might as well just be happy. And it's crazy because at the, at the end of the day, it's like it's like the health is something that it's, it's what matters in the end. Your health, like, um, I feel you. Do you think as we get older, you think this life thing gets easier or harder? <laughs> Well, shit. <laughs> I mean, some things get easier, some things get harder. I agree. I agree. Yeah. No, do I don't you... think there's a really correct answer for that. What do, mean... you... <laughs> what do you think gets harder as we get older? You know, I I saw this saying the other day that uh, it was some doctor had said it. And I'm listening. It was about, I'm trying to remember it. So it was about a... Uh, It was a doctor speaking about someone's health issue. And he said, you can't continue mourning the person you used to be because you'll never be that person again. Yeah, for real. And that made so much sense to me because as you get older, you you start to mourn who you were. You start to mourn and in different ways. Maybe you were skinny. Maybe you were sexy. Maybe you were, you know, a lot, you know, more in shape. Maybe you were funner. Like, maybe you were healthy. Maybe you could run more. And we get older and that, and we're mourning that. Like, I remember I used to be able to, you know, drink all night and wake up in the morning and still go to work like nothing. And, and you don't realize that a part of you is mourning that. You're mourning that. And that comes with health too. Like, I know a part of me sometimes was like, fuck, I wish I was healthy. And it's like the acceptance of, okay, but you're not. Yeah. Now you're older. So now accept who you are 
and stop mourning who you used to be because you're never going to be there again. Or mourning the old days when it was simpler. Yeah. Fuck. 20s was full of chaos. It was fun. I think 30s was when we got more serious about our careers and we started making more money than our 20s. And I think 40s were supposed to even make more money. I hope so. But <laughs> I wonder if that's what it all, all there is to this because we're learning like we've tasted money and it did not fix everything, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> sometimes no, we I, think that's going to fix everything. I agree. Didn't, you know? I can say I'm, I make more money right now than I ever than had you ever in have my life. Made. Right. But I'm probably broker than I have ever been in my life. <laughs> like, it, I mean, things, you think the higher your income. The more you get yes. fixed here. And know? no, it's not. And that's what <laughs> I learned when I was at my sickest too. I wasn't working and I, I didn't know how the hell I was going to figure it out. But I realized, you know what? Oh, well. If it means we pack up and go to TJ or go stay at my aunt's house or go, I'm thankful that I have somewhere to go if that needed to happen. And I realized that at that point, I might die tomorrow. So what was the point of all this damn money I was working so hard to get? Damn. That's crazy, right? Health, happiness, peace, all that stuff has nothing to do with money. No, (laughs) nothing. Nothing at all. Health, happiness, peace. Um, what do you think gets easier as we get older? Probably telling people no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Admitting I'm tired. Yes, yes. I'm not going out. Yes. And and just, I think it just gets easier embracing yourself. It gets easier saying like, hey, you know what? I, I am who I am. I don't really like to go out that much. <laughs> or hey, I... I am who I am. I need a mental health day. Mm-hmm. And one thing I learned, especially this year with all my emotions all over the place, was <laughs> I actually got to the point where I would tell my boss, I can't come in today. And like, what's going on? I'm like, you want to know the truth? I'm fucked up in the head today. Yes. <laughs> and it gets easier to just say it because it's like, what What else? other excuse can I tell you like you know what my anxiety is bad today for real, for real. I'm a little depressed today for real and I didn't know how to do that before yes and you gotta say that out loud I think you have to admit that to yourself and to others around you sometimes you have to say it because it'll affect others too you know like you gotta tell someone that you're going through something yeah because it might spill over spill on other things that you didn't mean it to spill on you know it helps um, people understand and I think it honestly helps people even speak about it too yes like I started sharing my story just on my Instagram like posts uh, like on my my story I, I started sharing my updates and everything ever since I started doing that I got so many I have one friend that told me she had a thyroid cancer and she's girl. been battling it and no one knew I had another friend that told me she had colon cancer and she's in treatment right now she's fighting it alone and the majority of these are women who are mothers so they don't want to say it and it's like hearing it out loud it's like it's okay say it yes say it 
what I know about us getting a little older in our 40s, sometimes we hesitate to open up to others because we don't want to dump our shit on others. That too, and yes. And we're aware, like, everybody's grown and doing grown-up stuff and everyone's just trying to survive in this country. I almost sometimes we assume, like, we don't want to bother nobody. Like you're a burden. Yeah. But see, the thing is, how are you going to... It's like mental health in this country is suffering pretty bad and it's it's in our responsibility to reach out for help you know and I'm, I know it's tough it's hard you know sometimes you don't know how to reach out but to expect a guessing game from others and just assume that they know you're going through yeah. depression it ain't gonna happen my G you, you have to be you gotta reach out to something someone and even someone, if it's not something. asking for help just reach even out. just saying it like hey you know what it. I'm a little depressed today yeah, let's hang out let's do something fun. something and and as adults because we are older we know the responsibility we can't take on I mean I'm not gonna lie I've had friends that are going through it and it's been a little like I'm sorry I just I really can't go my son has a tournament like I wanna be there for you but I can't but at least now I know going you're it. going through it okay I can't be there right this minute. It's not selfishness. It's responsibility. It's a good friend. It's a good friend. But now I know. And, you know, I got you. I'll, I'll look out. So sometimes it's just even expressing, letting people know. Because I've been in that place where, especially this year when I was bad. I mean, I there was that point in time where I could barely walk. And and I'll tell one story that I, I don't really tell a lot of people. Um, the house I was living in was a two-story so I couldn't walk down the stairs to get water and my son was at school and I was home alone and I was so thirsty. I crawled out of bed and crawled to the bathroom and drank water out of the sink, like just right there because I, I was dehydrated, but I couldn't make it down the stairs. And at that moment, I, I realized I'm doing this to myself because I had a lot of people tell me, if you need something, let me know. But I didn't tell anybody because to me, I was, I was like, I could do this and I don't want to bother anyone else. I don't want to be a burden. And then I realized like, you know what? I, this is me doing it to me because I I can tell my friends like, hey, you know, I'm, I can't walk. Yeah. If you guys could check in on me or yeah. if you can or like, but, but I wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, it's a good point, right? Like um, one of the things I thought about what, what gets harder to us as we get older is maintaining friendships. Yes. And I think I give props to anybody and everybody who got kids but still make time for the homies and homegirls because we it is tough. Like, I'm sure, like, I, I, I can imagine, like, you can't be with, you can't be there for all your friends all the time no more, you know? Because yeah. people got kids, you know? Like, but I think a simple text means a lot like hey just checking in on you yeah how you feeling today tell me what's on your mind you know what you're doing i think that counts a lot a lot something definitely. you know it's the little things that count little gestures like that um there's a lot of craziness going on in the world iris how, what do you do to stay positive there's so many things in the media so many things in the news so many things going on in the country middle east how do you stay at peace because it's crazy out here. It very much is. Um, you got to be at home to be at peace. <laughs> I, I shut off a lot of everything. Everything. And um, some people might think that to be a little naive. Because there's times where I've had friends that are very into politics. Are very into this. And they, they tell me things. And I'm like, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. 
And they're like, how do you not know what's going on out there? And it's like, it's not that I don't know what's going on out there. It's just that I'm not putting my energy into it because no matter what, that's going to continue happening. And if you're so focused on it and, and by all means, I don't mean that disrespectful because I know there's people's families out there and everything. But for me personally, I'm not in a position where I can deal with that mentally. Like I, I, like, like we talked, I, I get anxiety, I get depression. I, so I'm already dealing with my health and trying to raise a man to try to take on the world's problems, which is something that I naturally do. I want to always look out for my friends. I always want to, if my friend tells me I'm going through this, I'm like, how can I help you? Like, if you know, and then I stay stressed out about it. Like, oh, okay, maybe if I put away a little bit of money, I can help her out to, you know, cover this. And thinking of them. So when it becomes a bigger problem, that's my natural instinct. And that's what creates chaos in my own mind. Yes. Personally, like, I, I, and I can't handle that. So for me, it's just like, I, you know, that's not the solution for everyone. But for me, I shut it out. Mm-hmm. I, I rather just not see it. I protect my home. I protect my son. I protect my state of mind. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can do for now. Yep. And that's what I learned a lot this year is that you need to focus on what you can do. What's important to you. Yes. And what really matters Control you. what you can do right now. Mm-hmm. And once you can control that, then you can start expanding. Then you can take care of it. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of no one else. You're never going to be any help to anybody. Amen. Amen. Yo, Iris, this has been real, man. Um, any any shout-outs that you want to give out there before we end the interview? Yes, Francine. No, of what course. Up? Francine, what up? What yes, up? of course. You, I met an amazing person, yeah. and I got this experience. So thank you, Francine. Thanks, Francine. Um, to, to everybody listening out there, man, I know the holidays can be a rough time for everybody and anybody. Um I know by the time this episode comes out, it's pro- we're probably going to be in the end of December, first week of January or December, but I just want to wish everybody a happy holidays out there, happy late Thanksgiving, happy New Year's, <laughs> uh, and Merry Christmas, all, all in one, you know, um, the holidays. You like Christmas better or Thanksgiving? Christmas. <laughs> You're a Christmas person. I'm a Christmas person. What do you guys, what's, what's like a tradition for your family during Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve is usually the dinner. Well, not even dinner. It's just there's a bunch of food laying around and and then midnight presents. I love it. You guys go to midnight mass? We don't. No. What what does your family cook? Um, we have a mixture. There's always tamales, of course. Yeah. Uh, we do turkey sometimes. We do uh, different soups. I mean. I don't even know. <laughs> At this point, there's so many different cultures in our family that everyone brings whatever they're bringing. Some honey. Some honey. Some honey. <laughs> oh, right. that'll, that'll help that liver. Some Modelo. <laughs> some Modelo, some Corona. Oh, but yeah, those we are always there. It's cracking for Christmas. All right, well, ladies and gents, it's been real, man. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you guys have a good rest of 2023. Peace and love, yo. Thank you. Peace. <laughs> Thank you.